You're listening to Video Monsters, a weekly podcast. Uh, well, uh, mostly weekly. Sometimes more, sometimes less. <sighs> All right, fine. A mostly weekly podcast of Creatures Talking Features with your hosts, Nathan Simmons and Eric Harris. Video Monsters is brought to you by the Chattanooga Film Festival and Central Cinema in Knoxville, Tennessee. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or online at chatfilmfest.org and centralcinema865.com. And links for each of these can also be found on our pages, so be sure to follow us at Video Monster Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Hello and welcome to another episode of Video Monsters, where we take movies seriously, just not ourselves. I'm Nathan. And I'm Eric. And uh, we're finally out of like all of our Halloween coverage. Yay! But also boo. Yay! Yeah, boo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> see like see what it there? Because, you know, ghosts say boo, but it's also like an, an expression of sadness. Because, yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, we, we love it's Halloween. Good thing that we're... That's very true. It's a good thing we're moving on to uh, something that is very not Halloweeny at all. Uh, <laughs> like, by like a horror a film movie about a witch. <laughs> you know, witches don't have anything to do with Halloween. That it, it seems so like us to be like, all right, we're finally done with this kind of coverage, and so we're going to keep doing this kind of coverage. <laughs> but whatever. Um, yeah, tonight we're going to be talking about the uh, the movie Hex. Um, which you know, it's it's not quite Halloweenish. Um, it is still horror-ish. We're gonna get into that. Um, but part of the reason that we are um, part of the reason that we're gonna be covering Hex rather than diving straight into catching up on all of our history of cinema episodes, because you know it's November and we still haven't even done the '80s, so we're like three months behind. <laughs> Part of the reason that we're going to be doing this is uh, we have an interview with the director, George Popoff, coming up soon, depending on when this gets released and depending on <laughs> when other things get scheduled. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it might be tomorrow or it might be a week from now, depending on when this is actually put out. Um, but yeah, we're, we're going to be talking with George Popoff, and I'm really excited about that because we covered his other film, The Droving. I don't know when, a couple of months ago. It was, in, it was in July sometime. Was it? It feels like it's about five years ago because it was during the pandemic, which we're still in the pandemic, which wear your masks, people. Come on. <laughs> <clears throat> yes, I concur. But yes, we did watch The Droving and it was uh, it was a big, it was like a really pleasant surprise for me. Like that was, it was a film that uh, if, if anyone out there in listener land hasn't listened to that review well, first of all, go check out The Droving and then go listen to that review because uh, it's a really fantastic little indie film. Yeah, I really dug it. And uh, we talked about that one uh, a fair amount in terms of <clears throat> some of the things that we loved the most about it were just those themes that that were brought out and and the way that it was done so well on such a, a small budget and a small, um, not really a small set because there were some great locations, but like a small cast, it really did feel like a very small indie film. Uh, and it was only George Popoff, Popoff's second film. And also, George, mm-hmm. I apologize if I'm mispronouncing your last name. I realize that, you know, I'm, I'm going with the way that I assume it's pronounced, but it could be pronounced any number of ways. I guess we'll find that out. 
uh, in soon on the next episode. I believe that's I believe that's correct. I, I listened to uh, a podcast that he was on recently, and I'm pretty sure that that's how they said it. <laughs> well, that might have been how they said it, but is that how he said it? Uh, anyways, <laughs> The Droving was only a second film. Hex was his first one, uh, and was also co-written and co-directed by Jonathan Russell. And uh, so, so we're really excited to be talking about, uh, well, just to be covering his his films. You know, I think that it's one of the things that I love about talking with current indie directors is we've covered their entire filmography because this is their second film. I, I don't know. The completionist <laughs> in me just loves that. Yeah, me too. It's it, it always bugs me when there's like one outlier for for someone that I haven't watched, and I usually don't ever get around to it. But yeah, it, it's really nice whenever uh, we we catch them early on, <laughs> and we will get into this. But I am so excited to see where things go from here. Like I I cannot wait until his next film. I don't even know mm-hmm. if he's working on one currently, but just the progression from hex to he droving. Is. Oh, goody. Uh, the progression from Hex to Droving, I feel like, was a huge jump, so I cannot wait to see what happens next. Anywho, that is all of the preface of um, why we are covering yet another horror movie right now, rather than catching up on our History of Cinema episodes. Uh, but we're going to be doing the same thing in this review that we do with all of our reviews, where we talk about our prior information, how it shaped our expectations, what we thought of the film from a technical standpoint, what we thought of it from an emotional standpoint slash uh, analysis, how rewatchable the movie is, and who we recommend the movie for slash uh, what that movie would pair well with. So, Eric, prior information, yes. what you got? Uh, not much, really. Just uh, that I knew that this was the first feature from the director of the Droving. Um, going into it, I knew a little bit. I mean, basically, the plot synopsis is is pretty simple. It's basically about um, two soldiers during the English Civil War, and like I think it's set in 1644, I believe is when it said, um, who kind of run into each other in the woods, and then there ends up being, they're on opposing sides. I don't know if I mentioned that. Um, and they are running around the woods, kind of fighting with one another, I guess. And then a witch shows up and that's, that's about it. Like I didn't even, that, that's pretty much all that I knew about it going into it. Um, yeah. The, the synopsis on IMDb for both Hex and the droving, uh, and also let me go ahead and say this. We are going to be referencing the droving a lot during this interview or not interview during this review, uh, not because that's the movie that we're talking about, but because there are so many similarities and so many overlapping mm-hmm. themes that it's going to be difficult to not talk about some of those. Uh, sure. Yeah. W- one of those first similarities is the IMDb description is like literally one sentence long. So yeah. uh, with, with droving, it's like um, a guy's looking for his sister during a festival. It is about all that it says. I don't have it pulled up, so right, I don't know yeah. literally what it says. And yeah, for Hex, it's just uh, two soldiers during the British Civil War are stuck in the woods by a witch. And like, that's that's yep. about it. <laughs> there is hardly any any synopsis. Um, here's what here's what I would here's how I would describe it for anybody who's interested in this film. The way that I would describe it is think about in the Fellowship of the Ring. When the hobbits are on the way from uh, from the Shire on the road to Bree, okay, and let's say that Sam goes crazy for some reason and starts chasing Frodo through the woods trying to kill him, and then they end up stumbling into the Blair Witch Project. That's basically kind of what you get out of Hex, but without 
with with less overt fantasy that you would get from something like Fellowship of the Ring. It's a lot more subtle. You that. know that you could have just used um, Return of the King where, no, not Return of the King, uh, whichever one it is, where they, uh, they're going through the woods with Gollum, right? Like you could have just used that example because they well, are on opposing sides. Mind, though, the only reason I, I said Fellowship of the Ring is because a lot of the locations used in Hex remind me of uh, like it looks very similar to the area where they're being pursued by the ring wraiths in fellowship and they're sure. like, hiding under that little uh, embankment. Uh, that's what I kept thinking of a lot while watching this film. Uh, it also, I will say though, one thing I want to kind of put out there, uh, one of the thing I knew ahead of time from reading just a few of the reviews on like letterbox is that it's a, I feel like this term is a little overused, but it's a bit of a slow burn. Like it is a film that really takes its time uh with its scenes so um you know i it almost has the feel of like a kind of like those early scenes in in something like solaris the tarkovsky film um so there's a lot of like long shots of uh you know people looking out i'm kind of getting into the technical a little bit but that's something that i think is really important to know going in is that this is if you're looking for a like horror film with a bunch of scares or something this isn't exactly what you're getting out of that this is much more of a uh a contemplative meditative kind of film for the most part. Yeah. And, uh, that is, that's definitely something that, that I plan on mentioning when we get to the technical in terms of it is an incredibly slow burn, but based off of, so my prior information, <clears throat> this wasn't a complete non sequitur. I started a sentence and then realized my prior information is going to explain what I was about to say even better. So my prior information is uh, I knew nothing about Hex other than when we watched The Droving and I looked up uh, the director on IMDb. I was like, oh, he's done another one. I should watch this just again because I really enjoyed The Droving and I wanted to watch Hex and we finally got around to it. But like, that's it. That is the only thing that I knew about Hex. Um, so all of my prior information is based off of the droving in terms of the description of the droving sounds like really, really, um, it, 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 well, if you go back and listen to the episode, it set me up to expect a, like a cult film, not a cult following in terms of like Rocky war picture show, but something like hereditary or straw man, straw man, wicker man, uh, <laughs> or straw man. Uh, I, I was expecting something like that, where there was going to be like just this huge cult presence and this uh, this guy like going into the small town looking for his sister is having to fight against all of the uh, towny cultists is what I was expecting. And that's not what I got. I love the droving. That's not a, a critique, but based off of what I was expecting and what I got. I was expecting Hex, based off of the description and based off of my experience with Droving, to be very similar. Like, okay, there's a witch. Mm. I don't really expect to see the witch at all. Maybe a, a couple of times, you know, maybe uh, maybe at the end, maybe not at all. Like, I, I was not expecting this to be a Blair Witch style, um, you know, like super creepy, like constantly being chased by the witch. I expected it to be more... Well, to be more grounded in reality with just that little dash of witch, um, you know, because like yeah. we, we said this in the droving, but the droving is basically a cult movie without the cult and mm. Hex is kind of a witch movie without the witch. And True, yeah. 
this this can kind of lead into the technical a little bit where i really really like that i don't always love it mm-hmm. and there are some movies that try to do it and i don't think that they succeed but i do think that hex and the droving do really well um they, they take a supernatural story but they set it in an extremely natural world so like with the droving yeah. <clears throat> excuse me with the droving it wasn't about the cult it was about people's beliefs and kind right. of the same thing with hex it's not about a witch and all of her witchy doings it's kind of about beliefs again and and about how are two people with drastically opposing uh, views on war and faith going to interact with each other when they are stuck in the woods they happen to be stuck by a witch but like that doesn't matter and and again i i think that it was done really well it's incredibly slow but i think that it was done well so that's my lead into the technical Um, yeah, for sure. And and I will say, like, there there were parts of this movie where, like, listen, I, I have ADHD. I, I have a hard time focusing on things to begin with. So there were parts where I could feel my attention drifting a little bit. So, you know, I mean, for me personally, there were there were times where it was a little tough to sit through. But, but at the same time, like, I think that it is kind of necessary given the way that the story is being told. Um, you know, this is uh, the film opens with... Um, Daniel Oldroyd, who is also the plays the protagonist in um, the Droving, um, he is a, a loyalist, I believe, in the English Civil Civil War. I don't remember. Yeah, what he's the he's term fighting was. for anyway, king. Whatever the term was, he was fighting for king, not for freedom. Right. Um, he's you know woken up on a battlefield, and he ends up running into um, a Roundhead, who is on the opposing side, and then they have a fight. They chase each other. Um, and then, without getting too much into spoiler territory, um, there's there's a little bit of an uneasy alliance that they have to form with one another. So, there are a lot of scenes earlier on in the film where there isn't much talking. They're just kind of sitting around. Um, the one thing that I will say, though, is that even though it does feel a little slow at times, it is always gorgeous to look at. I mean, this is a beautiful film. Especially, I mean, this, the budget for this, from what I was reading, was like a thousand pounds. Um, or like, I guess in American money, that's like 1200 bucks or something. So, I mean, there's, there's the budget is minuscule for yeah. a film like this. And despite that, like it is so gorgeous looking, uh, just like the droving, the locations are incredible. Like there's this, uh, this building that's, uh, used as a church or that's supposed to be like an old decayed church. That's gorgeous. Uh, they get some really cool camera angles and shots in that place. Um, so yeah, like even if, I could feel my attention wandering a little bit during certain scenes. It was like, I was always still captivated by just what I was looking at to a certain extent. Um, Cause again, it's a beautiful film. Um, yeah. It's got beautiful locations. Uh, the, the music, b- because I actually did pay attention to the music this time <laughs> for anyone who listened to our droving review. Uh, <laughs> the music was great. Uh, I, even um, the though there's amazing, even though there's not much dialogue, I do feel like the acting was solid. Like the, the, the characters were incredibly believable for who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think Daniel Ordroyd is a very solid actor. Like I, I hope yeah. that he gets a lot more work because man, I would love to see him in uh, in a lot more. But he has a he has a monologue toward the end of this film that's really uh, really fantastic. It's all done for the most part in one shot, and uh, you know he's got he's he's really great. 
Yeah. Well, and uh, I'm going to come back to that in just one second. Um, because I, I did want to kind of echo some of the things that you said in terms of because of because of the plot of two opposing sides stuck in a forest, like you're not if they had formed an instant alliance or if they had just been chatting each other up the entire time or if they had been kind of like Princess Bride um, when Wesley and Inigo were having their sword fight, if they had just been bantering back and forth the entire time. I wouldn't have bought into it. It would have felt mm. too forced. And so, yeah, there's hardly any dialogue for the first hour, roughly, of this film. Mm. And and again, that does that does make it very, very slow. But I also feel like that... I, I feel like that's part of what made it believable. I feel like that is what mm. gave it some of its reality of, yeah, two people who want to kill each other but aren't killing each other, what are they going to talk about? Not much. Yeah, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. and and so I do feel like that, uh, that was believable. And <laughs> there that also does lead to a lot of show, don't tell. And there's one mm-hmm. great scene at the campfire where you get yeah, a yeah. lot of personality and you get to see, without being told, a lot of who these characters are, uh, just in terms mm-hmm. of how they interact and it's like I, I i want to spoil it but at the same time i don't but you get a lot of uh like extending grace and and trying to not really establish a friendship but almost a sort of trust and right, and then yeah. you get a little bit of that trust and it's like oh okay they're starting to and then like you see a their their guards go up and it's like oh no they still don't trust each other all done right. visually. No words. I, I love it. It was an incredibly solid scene. It's, it's simple. Like, it's a very simple scene, but it was still executed, I think, very well. Yeah, I like I like that this movie, there are parts of it that almost feels like it is pulling from, like, the tradition of silent film. Um, that scene in particular, because it is done mostly in one shot, it's very physical. Um, there's also, there's, there's one kind of about midway through there's one like there's a part in this movie where i felt like there weren't really going to be any actual scares or jump scares or anything like that but there is one about halfway through the film that is extremely effective um that is very much pulled from like the uh the nosferatu playbook i think yeah to a certain extent uh i really really like that scene a lot um so yeah i don't know i i it's it's really nice to especially for a first time director like it's it's I mean, you have to have, like, it's a bold decision to, for your first film to essentially make what is almost a silent film for the most <laughs> right. part, for, for, the, for the first two thirds of it. Um, I mean, that I feel like that takes a lot of confidence in your ability to tell a story visually. Yeah. And there is a lot more dialogue in the, in the last 30 minutes, and there's a lot of things that are explained. We're not going to go into spoilers. We're going to try not to go into spoilers. There is a lot that ex- that is explained in the last thirty, and mm. and honestly, I'm glad that that exposition wasn't, or I'm glad that it wasn't like that throughout. I'm glad that there wasn't exposition throughout the entire film because then it would have felt like they were just telling me a story rather than showing me the story. And yeah, and and, and again, for what this movie is, I don't think that it would have worked for them to just sit down and tell me everything that's going on in that first hour. Um, sure. Yeah. Something else that also plays a 
plays a part in why it is so quiet for the first hour. It takes place over a very short period of time. Like it's almost real time for about the first first 30 or 40 minutes. Um, Mm -hmm. Not exactly, but roughly. Um, So like the first hour of the film is probably over the span of about a day. So it's not given them much time to form that connection. There's not much reason for them to trust each other yet. There is the, I, I do feel like there is enough of the groundwork of at this time, believing in witches was a much more real thing, which is why when they do start to realize, oh, we have to like actually come together to defeat this. There's not a whole lot of, oh, but don't you understand? There's a witch. What? Witches aren't real. There's more of just like a, there's an evil presence in this forest. Yep. Yeah. We got to work together. Yep. Mm -hmm. Like it it just kind of makes sense as opposed to trying to set something now where you would have had to have a 20 minute scene of people trying to argue with someone over whether or not the boogeyman is real. For sure. Yeah. And I think it adds a lot of uh, additional tension to the film too, to, uh, you know, I feel like if they were constantly talking and bickering at each other, it would undermine a lot of the tension and diffuse it a bit. Uh, plus, there's also there's some really great sound design in this film. Like, especially, I'm not I'm not going to give this part away, but the very last scene of the film, there's one shot in particular that involves this kind of like scraping noise. It, it's um, like a mortar and pestle really, type of thing. Well, yes, yes, it is. That's well, but at first you don't know that, and you just hear like some scraping noises and just see this image. Um, and there's something about that that was just very deeply unsettling. And most of it is just because of you don't know exactly what you're looking at or what's happening. All you can hear is this, this just scraping on a wall, basically. And there's something like that's so, especially whenever you're working with a low budget and a, with a small budget like this, like s- just simple, effective sound design like that can go such a long way. Yeah. Um, and I feel like this movie really gets that gets that right throughout the uh, throughout the entire film. But that last scene in particular really unnerved me in a way that I was not expecting. <laughs> so speaking of the sound, I very, very, very strongly recommend watching this movie either with headphones or with surround sound because mm-hmm. of not only that scene, but also um, th- there's another scene where you kind of hear voices sort of ish not really but also definitely but also kind of but yeah yeah and and it's definitely something that i feel like you need to be surrounded by to to uh to experience it in a way that's going to have a stronger impact yeah it really the the sound design in those earlier scenes um it's very subtle and it's really like designed to uh to try and put you in the headspace of those characters like it's almost like did i really hear what i just heard uh, you know what's going on it, it, it really helps you to get into like uh to identify with their paranoia yeah well and speaking of did i really just hear that uh eric let me know if you noticed this as well but there were a few times outside of that very specific scene where like there's voices and, and stuff going on but um after that is when i started noticing it did it sound to you like some of the sounds of nature were not natural? Like it, like some of the birds, it didn't sound like real birds. It sounded, I, um, I don't know, like it almost sounded too rhythmic. It sounded too unnatural. And I don't know if that's just, that's the way that that bird sounded, but it almost sounded like someone had recorded a bird and then like played part of it backwards at times maybe i didn't quite catch that um on my own but i wasn't listening with headphones or anything i was just in my living room when 
you know, trying to watch this while also doing laundry and a million other things. Too. Lots, so, I was watching it that with I basically noise canceling headphones. So that was the only thing that I heard. So gotcha. Yeah. Um, no, I didn't quite catch that. Oh, well, again, it could just be me. Um, w- the ambient noise is very effective, though. Like, there's, a, I mean, like, there's there's constant, like, noises of birds and other things out there that really, I mean, again, really situate you in this environment. Yeah. Um, all right. Is, is there anything else about the technical? Because there's a ton of emotional stuff that I want us to discuss, but also I want us to be careful not to spoil things. But also, sure, yeah. I want to give enough reason for people to stick to the end because it, the, the themes in this movie, I feel like, are so strong. Um, but I'm trying to think if there was anything else on the technical side. Um, oh, one of the things I said I was going to come back to this. The monologue that Daniel Oldroyd has, again, about an hour-ish end of the film, he's telling a story of something that happened in his past. And in any other movie, I would have expected there to be some sort of flashback, you know, even just like the sounds of battle, like something to try to, quote unquote, put you in his headspace so that you were Mm -hmm. almost hearing things as he was remembering them. And that doesn't happen like you. It's like he is just telling you a story. And and again, like that. Yeah, that's a limitation of such a small budget of not being able to create this uh, epic battle scene to flash back to. But at the same time, again, I really appreciate that you don't have that because it does force you to stay in the moment, especially since most of it is that um, just that one shot like you are there and you're not focusing on the battle. You're not focusing on what he experienced then. You're focusing on what he's experiencing now as he's telling the story. And and, and again, I feel like in lesser hands, it very easily could have just been, all right, come on, get on with it. But I don't know. I I really dug that scene, especially because, you know, it's kind of a turning point in the film. But man, Mm. I, I loved how that scene didn't do what I was expecting it to do. Yeah, no, I actually really agree with you. You know, we we talk a lot about, you know, show don't tell on this podcast, and I think in most cases that is correct, depending on how you approach it. But there is something, you know, like one of my favorite TV shows of all time is The Leftovers, and that is a show that very much is is about subverting your expectations and there are so many times where you're getting these lengthy monologues about something that happened that's just absolutely incredible and Whenever you focus on a character telling a story, in a lot of cases, especially if it is something that was like traumatic for them or something that is deeply emotional, sometimes it's even more effective to just see them telling the story and seeing the way that they themselves react to telling the story, especially if it's like, you know, something that they've carried with them for a long time that they don't really, they've never really reckoned with. You know what I mean? It's like by saying it out loud, you're purging this demon and you're finally like giving yourself a chance to process what happened. And I think that in this movie, it does that very well. Like I, I, sometimes breaking that rule actually is a more effective way of showing rather than telling because you're focusing more on the emotion of the moment well yeah and like that's the thing is the the whole show don't tell it depends on what it is that you are trying to show slash tell like in in these situations what is being shown is not the story it's the 
character and how they're responding to that. Yeah. So it's, it's it's the exception that proves the rule. Exactly. It it reminded me a lot, not necessarily uh, in in terms of how it was shot, not necessarily in terms of tone, but it reminded me of that like twelve minute scene in After Midnight where Brea and yeah. um. Oh my God! Why am I Jeremy, drawing a blank on his name? Jeremy Gardner. Jeremy Gardner. Jeez, I can't believe that. Like I could picture his face. I saw him right there. I was like, I. Eh. <laughs> yes, Rebecca and Jeremy are are having their discussion, and it's just you know it's it, it's just a one shot where you are focusing on them. And dear God, I love After Midnight, and that scene in particular is so powerful for a ton of reasons. Mm-hmm. We've talked about that movie like eight times on this podcast. Eventually, we'll come back to it again. Um, but even though there's not a lot of similarity, again, in terms of tone or like what's being told, just the way that it is focusing on this is this character in this moment as they are bearing themselves to the person right next to them. It right. that's 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 the scene that it reminded me of. Um, yeah. All right. Any other technical things that you can think of? No, I think that's 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 pretty much it. I really I think the the real what really excited me about this movie was kind of some of those themes that it really gets into, especially in that last 30 minutes or so between the characters and then also how they deal with this uh, this supernatural presence that they both feel. Yeah. And I Man, I still don't know how I feel about how they dealt with it. Like, I, but part of me loves it because it's like, yeah, that's what I expected ish. But part of me also hates it because it's like, man, that, ah, there's, there's so much that I want to talk about this movie that gets into spoilers that, yeah, I, I'm trying can, to not spoil. Like, I think that we can talk yeah. about most of the themes. And then maybe have like a slight spoiler section because I really want to talk about some of these things. Um, I feel like we can talk around it pretty well. I, I, the the thing that stands I, out to me, I want I to mean, talk about some, literally the last scene of the film. Yeah, so I, it's, it's <laughs> fantastic. We'll talk around it and then we'll get to a section where we give a a spoiler wall. It really it's a movie that's very. It feels like it's very fascinated in faith and like spiritual warfare and kind of like the inherent contradictions of being a person of faith. Like, I mean, for one thing, the two main characters are both people who are very devoutly religious, but still like find themselves on opposite sides of one another, which, you know, as, as someone, as a Protestant Christian in an area of a lot of evangelicals who I adamantly disagree with on most things, like it's something that I really connected with in this movie yep. where it's like how can how can two people who essentially believe in you know this in the Christ figure who is all about empathy and compassion and helping the poor like how can we have such drastically different interpretations of the same text yep um so the, th- this is not a spoiler because this is one of the first scenes of the movie when the two characters meet each other, and we, we've said Daniel Oldroyd a few times, we should probably uh, at least say the name <laughs> of the other actor slash character. <clears throat> uh, I think and it was if, what, Tony Broadbent? It was... Yeah, Tony Broadbent. No, no, no I'm no, sorry, William Young. Yeah, Tony Broadbent is the... I, I pulled up IMDb too. Even though Tony Broadbent is listed first in the crest. Uh, yeah, William Young is the other actor uh, playing Thomas. 
and Daniel Orderett's character is Richard. We're not going to remember those names. I'm probably just going to refer to them by their actual names. Um, they don't really refer to each other by name very often. Yeah, because because again, would you? You know, like if you and I were right. stuck in the woods, even if we had never met, would I constantly be saying, "Eric, can you hand me?" Like I don't need to call out exactly, your name. Yeah. <laughs> because you're the only yeah. person that I'm talking to, obviously. Again, little things like that, that ground that realism, because it just makes sense. If that's the only person around, you wouldn't keep saying their name. Anywho, um, one of the first scenes, when they first meet each other, uh, Daniel Oderoid is like still in uh, in his uniform, still in his armor, and like he had just woken up from the battle scene, which I have a theory that I'll try to remember to get back to. And, uh, and William Young is walking through the forest and they encounter each other and, uh, Daniel draws his sword and like, he's ready to kill him. And William's like, it, it's not you that I have a quarrel with. It's your King basically saying, I don't, I don't want to fight you. I don't want to kill you. There's no reason for us to fight. We are just people. There's right. nothing different between us. This is not the battlefield. Like we're not fighting over anything right now. We are just two opposing people, two people with opposing views that encountered each other. We don't need to take each other's lives right now. Right. He didn't say all of that. He just said, my quarrel isn't with you, it's with your king. Twitch Dean Lordroyd said something along the lines of, well, then this will be a quick death. Basically, oh, if you're not yeah. going to fight back, then I'm just going to slay you. And even though this movie was made in 2017 you know what this movie was made during a time that it might have been on purpose i could not help but think oh daniel oldroyd is like a trumper where he is so devoted to i am told that i must follow this person that if i see someone with a different view i'm i'm gonna tear him down regardless of why and and again, I don't think that um, I don't necessarily think that that was intentional. I don't think that uh, Daniel was portraying a bad guy in this film. But in that initial scene of here's this guy just trying to have freedom and you know to just care about other people, and here's this guy who was so so devoutly committed to following what some man in the high castle told him. I, I just couldn't help but uh, make that comparison. But that's also yeah, the way sure. that my mind works. Yeah, for sure. I don't know if it's necessarily a direct correlation to American politics or if it's just like a general... I mean, it could just be there's a general uh, bending toward right-wing extremism in the world in general in a lot of places. Um, in the UK, actually, especially. There's yep. there's a and there's it, that. Um, and again, I don't necessarily sorry, think that that was intentional... But because of the current climate, I, I couldn't sure. not <laughs> read some of that into the film. For sure, yeah. And it's what's fascinating, too, is the way that your your perceptions and assumptions of both of these characters really change quite a bit um, by the end of the film um, in, some, in some very... In some ways that don't feel like they betrayed the characters that you've seen already. Yeah. Um, which is very fascinating to me. Like, I don't know, it's... It's it's just so. I'm trying to think of a way to segue into into the next point. Um, <laughs> well, here I'll I'll just interrupt so that way if you can't find a natural segue, you already mentioned that this film is uh, a little bit about faith and like it is. This entire film is about faith and the way that it shapes 
people's actions and and loyalty and what is worth fighting over and is it worth fighting over and how do you fight over yourself like i mean there's there's a moment without spoiling again it's like why would god protect me right there's a moment that's like that so i mean there's so much that in terms of the way we view ourselves the way we view others so much of that can be shaped by faith and also warped by faith in an instant based on the way that you perceive the threats around you and the way that you can use faith kind of as a scapegoat to shield yourself from feeling like you're making poor decisions in a way. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, you are the other and, you know, my God, I I will speak for my God and say that God tells you that you are wrong and that you you are the evil. And so therefore, because in my mind, my God says that you are evil, I am... It is, it's a permissive act. Like I'm giving, I'm given permission to do something that ordinarily would be frowned upon in my religion, um, but I'm doing it in God's name. I mean, you know, there's obviously, we're going to come back to this in, uh, once we get past that spoiler wall, because I need to talk about some of the specifics, but, um, along that line of why would God protect me? There's also, there's also a really fascinating um i'm I'm trying to say it without spoiling it right now there is a i I feel like a fascinating exploration of the role that faith has up to a point you know Mm -hmm. like yeah faith is guiding my actions faith is guiding my actions faith is guiding my actions i'm having an emotional response faith is out the window and i I can't wait till we get past that spoiler wall so I can actually dive into some of those details because, man, again, the last 30 minutes of this movie, the last 30 minutes of this movie could have been the movie in and of itself in terms of that is where so much of the meat of this film is, but um, none of that meat would have had any any reasoning without that first hour, like without some of that setup, without getting to know more about these characters and some of why they're doing what they're doing. Nothing in that last third would have mattered. It would have just been like, okay, here's two people kind of fighting each other, whatever. Don't care. Ah, mm. Yeah. I I I really love it because it, it, it is such a good depiction of, of again, those contradictions, like as, as a person of faith, you know, I use these principles to guide so many of the decisions that I make in my life. You know, I'm constantly thinking like, okay, is this what's going to be best for everyone? Not necessarily best for myself. Um, however, it's also like, it even, it gets into some of those more institutional things too, where it's like, I have struggled with my faith so much, not because of anything that God has done to me, but because of the way that people who say that they represent God treat other people. You Man, know what I mean? Like, I, it's like, I, I it's, am a major Gandhian Christian of love your Christ, hate your Christians. Like yeah, I, I've been I that mean, way since I was a kid of faith in God sure. is one thing. Assholes fucking it up in the church is another. And like, thank I mean, God when I was a kid, I was able to separate the two to realize when a a person of quote unquote faith does something terrible, they're not. That's not God. They're actually breaking from God. Anger. Yeah, Anywho. it's it's one of those things where like there are so many times where I wrestle with with my faith. Not even. I mean, again, it's 
part of it is like there are times where I wonder if overall, if re- religion has actually been more harmful to the world than beneficial. And I, I hate that I feel that way again, because like I, I do feel very strongly about my faith, but at the same time, it's like historic from a his- historical perspective, uh, it's it's really hard to reckon with some of the things that have been done the, in the name of Jesus. We, you know? we could <laughs> very easily turn this into a much longer podcast talking about some of those things in terms yeah. of like, yes, you need organized religion in terms of some of that community and that's some of the outreach in terms of how you reach others to bring them into the faith. But also organized religion is what led to the crusades of, do you believe what I do? No? Cool. Now you're dead. Like, mm-hmm. th- there's... Mm, it's so messed up. But this is not a history lesson. We don't have time to get into all of that. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, so much more of what I want to say is is getting into spoilers. So let's just say this, and, and then we'll smash through that spoiler wall and dive okay. into uh, a lot more. I think this movie is really solid. I think that The Droving is a better movie. This is in case you don't uh, stick through the rest of the episode if you're cutting it off here. I do think The Droving is a better movie. I think that um, some of the themes that get introduced in Hex get more fully um, get more fully explored in terms of how they impact a person yeah. in Droving. But the jump from Hex to Droving and just how much I feel like uh, feel like there was improvement over just a couple of years. I cannot wait to see how that improvement continues and to see where George goes next. I I, I hope that he continues on with these themes of, of faith and, and trauma and grief and isolation and because I feel like he's exploring them so well in a way that feels genuine, like in such a way that yeah. I feel like he has a major trauma in his past is how well he is exploring them. And I cannot wait to see what happens next. One last Possibly, thing. Yeah, I, oh, oh, no, I was just going to say one last thing so that we can uh, get to that spoiler wall. After watching Hex, uh, later that night, I also watched Green Room, which drastically different in tone, some similar themes and spoilers for Green Room uh, in case you've not seen it amazing movie go watch it if you can't yeah, it's one of my favorite movies of the last decade i adore green room it is an amazing movie and i found myself the entire time wanting there to be so much vengeance on these nazi punks for a very good reason they deserve vengeance but by the time by the end of the movie and the way that this movie handles violence the way that green room handles violence i was like who violence doesn't solve things man it makes it worse and ah geez it's all terrible oof kind of like the ending of um texas chainsaw not texas chainsaw um last house on the left we're like yeah there was vengeance but did, did it change anything and yeah i i even though they are drastically different in tone i feel like there is a very interesting overlapping theme of for sure people are violent for different reasons why how does it fix anything and yeah did you ever watch blue ruin i have not the i I need to watch that jeremy yeah jeremy sonier's uh first film i think first no second film uh the one right before green room though uh that movie is that's exactly what that film is about that is a revenge film where the revenge is the first act and then most of the movie is about the fallout of that and it is 
probably maybe my favorite revenge film ever. I mean, it's extraordinary. Um, I I need so to see yeah. that. And I'm I'm totally with to you though. Right like now. I, Hex is a is a really good. Um, I mean, like you can definitely see that Hex was kind of like, um, George Popoff really finding himself as a filmmaker. Like you can tell that this is him. Uh, you know, right out of the gate, he obviously has a lot of talent. Um, and, uh, and, and the progression from, from Hex to, uh, the droving is, is fantastic. Like it, the, just to see how much he has grown and see how much he has learned from that first film. Uh, so yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I can't wait to see what, what comes next from him. Yeah. And in case you do leave us here and you don't stick around for our deeper dive into things where we spoil things, the first hour is slow. Be aware of that. It is an incredibly slow movie. However, the themes are there, and if you stick with it, and also you have to care it's about these very, themes. It's, like it's if you're the, sticking with, yeah, like if you're the type of person that's like, I don't want to think, I just want to watch, I just want like a creepy witch movie, then this isn't going to be the kind of movie that you specifically are looking for. But if you are like us and you like to watch movies so that you can discuss them, oh. Dear God, there's so many themes uh, in this movie that can be discussed, and it is worth watching for that reason alone. All right. With all of that being said, let's smash through the spoiler wall so that we can actually discuss some of these much deeper themes in a way where I don't have to keep holding back and we can actually talk about very, very, (laughs) very spoilerific things. Let's do it. (laughs) I need to take my dog outside. (laughs) (laughs) That's, That's a spoiler. It is. It is very much a spoiler. Hold on, like spoiling our our uh, podcast here. Exactly, it's spoiling the moment. All right. So, bursting through that spoiler wall. So, from here on out, uh, we're going to discuss things with spoilers. And I know that I said a few times, oh, man, there's a ton that we need to talk about. It it might honestly only be like two or three main things that we end up talking about, but there's so much meat in those two or three things, and the entire movie is built around them. So we've already talked a little bit about like the role of faith and loyalty and um, how that sort of comes through in these characters and being in the situation, you know, dealing with war and stuck with each other and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And where it really, for me at least, starts to get, I I don't want to say where it starts to get interesting, but where it really starts diving into how some of these things are affecting these characters is when we get to that church scene and Daniel Oldroyd is going through and uh, talking talking about when he killed his commanding officer. Actually, you know what, before that, uh, again, with some of the show don't tell, I forgot to mention this earlier. I think there's a, a really cool, very short montage when they're sort of prepping to go back to the church. And you mm-hmm. see Daniel Oldroyd uh, like putting back on his armor and like getting all suited up. He's like, all right, I'm going into battle. And then you see other dude whose name I've already forgotten. And of course, I don't have IMDb pulled up as I'm saying this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you have uh, William Young going out and like gathering all of those spiritual elements. And so it's just a, a really, again, an, an effective way to show these characters in terms of how they prepare. One of them prepares spiritually. One of them prepares uh, physically. Okay. Mm-hmm. So 
when Daniel is talking about killing his commanding officer and you see uh, you see some of that character development in terms of what what he's going through and that guilt that he's feeling um, and just sort of that relief of finally being able to get that off of his chest. And then you have William and like, man, I, I knew it was coming too. I don't know if I like knew, knew that it was coming, but I knew it was coming where after he's done telling his story and it's silent and William's like, my brother was in the town that you slaughtered. And, and again, there's just such a, a fascinating uh, character study there in terms of what I mentioned you know, several minutes ago with religion is guiding my actions, religion is guiding my actions, religion is guiding my actions. Now I'm having an emotional response and religion is out the window where William mm. like wasn't he was fighting for freedom. He was fighting for some of that religious independence. But then when he met Daniel and the entire movie and I'm again saying the actor's names, not the character's. But throughout the entire movie, it was show compassion. We're not on the battlefield. I don't need to fight you. There's no reason for us to kill each other until I found out that you were part of the people that killed my brother. And so now I just right. straight up want to murder you. And oh man, again, <laughs> the the way that Danny was like, don't let the witch control you. You know, she's she's entered your body. This isn't you. This isn't you. And then William was like, no, this is me. I just... I don't know. There, there's so much there in terms of how just yeah. one simple fact can have a drastic change on the way that someone is responding with quote unquote compassion, you know, like it's, it's only compassionate well, until there's a real reason to care almost. Yeah. It's like with a, with a lot of people it, it's, you know, I can, you know, I can preach whatever message I feel is right until whatever it is that you're doing affects me personally. And then all of that's going to go out the window. There's, there's a real, like for a lot of people of faith, it seems like there's a real compartmentalization that goes on where there's, you know, you're talking about something most of the time in an abstract way. Um, you know, it, it's easy to just say, yeah, have faith, hold on, you know, we're going to get through this or whatever. And then once you finally come up a, against some obstacle or something that like hits home, it totally changes your perspective on that. Um, I, I do think that's really fascinating. The, the other thing that's really interesting about that is there's this, there's this power dynamic to religion where it, it is in, in a lot of ways it essentially hinges on guilt. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like with religion, so much of it. Hinges I have no on, idea what you're talking about. Well, whatever. It, yeah, I mean, like it's like uh, you know, as as Christians, we are made to feel guilty for our actions. We are sinners. We are not worthy of God, but He loves us anyway. That's like the crux of this relationship. Is like we are loved by someone who is all knowing and all seeing and all powerful, and He knows the mistakes that we've made, and He knows how you know horrible we can be to one another. But He still loves us anyway, and that's you know the the all consuming love or whatever. Um, so we have this <laughs> well, consuming love or whatever. I mean, whatever, say, all, yeah, whatever. All, all those good vibes, whatever. Who cares? I was running, I was running <laughs> down a rabbit hole. Sure. Uh, I was trying to get myself out of it. Um, but like, <clears throat> um, so like so much of it hinges on guilt. However, it's only in certain contexts. Like I'm, he feels guilt because he hurt someone who believes the same as he does and who he saw as, as a, 
as a superior fi- as a superior uh, to wait what's the word i'm looking for as someone who is above him right um you know someone well, that he and, can look up to and especially then, with the like uh the response of the the people left alive were um considered heroes and the ones who were died right. you know like they were praised for their sacrifice and and, and there's that awareness of i wasn't a hero i killed one of my own on accident but still mm-hmm. and he didn't and like, then there's the whole like i re- like all these people all the other people on the other side who i killed they have my respect but not my sympathy again despite well, the and, fact oh, that we are like i i love that line because one of the other lines of dialogue around that where he, basically where he's trying to get william to not kill him in that moment he's like uh i forget the exact phrasing but something along the lines of something along the lines of like war has to continue for the war that has been going on to be justified yeah like i i forget exactly Exactly, how he phrased it but it was something like if you kill me now then then your brother's life was given for no reason it's like wait that that doesn't make any sense but Mm. of course it makes sense to the soldier of well the reason that war is justified is because it's a war and as soon as the war is over then what was all the fighting about it's just it's a very circular reasoning but it makes sense why that's a circular reasoning yeah and it's it's the reason why again it's such a it's i love the way that this movie examines uh faith from so many different angles and why it looks at all of those different ways that we compartmentalize it and how we typically pick and choose things that fit whatever our narrative is more so because we feel guilty and we need to use faith as a reason to justify the way that we behave. First, I feel guilty because I accidentally killed my commanding officer. Then later, once we get to the end of the film, I feel absolved of guilt because God says this person that I am about to kill is evil in yep. my mind. And man, it's, uh, yeah, that that end scene, and we're probably going to jump around a little bit because uh, as we say things, it's, it's probably going to remind us like, oh yeah, also that. But yeah, when they get to the end and they're talking to the witch, I, I wish that she had been in more of the movie just because of the dynamic that she brought. But also, mm-hmm. if she had been more of the movie, it would have changed what the movie is, et cetera, et cetera, all those other things. But when she is giving her monologue about how she used to hear laughter and like joy coming from the town and like there used to be good things and then she Mm -hmm. heard pain and cries and suffering and she heard all of the shrieks of war and you know whether or not it's the same town that they were talking about it doesn't matter it's obviously the quote-unquote same town because of the fact that you know he's a soldier and it's in the middle of a war yeah, it's it's the result of the actions of soldiers like them that she is she has become the way that she is yeah and the, but here's the thing that is so beautiful about how all of this works out and oh man <clears throat> so she's a witch and and again this movie is presented in a very natural setting to where there's a couple quasi supernatural things that happen, but it's not like some of the you know like it, it's not like honestly, the ending of Hereditary. <laughs> you know, it's it's not like right. that kind of you, witchiness. 
you could honestly read this as a story that is not supernatural at all. Oh like, yeah, I feel it's, like there is a there's a valid way to see that as like she's not even really doing anything um, to them. She's just a convenient excuse for them to. I it's really fascinating too because it's like they they despite the fact that they hate each other, you know, there's there's nothing that you that will unite a group of people more efficiently than a common enemy well and you know, here that's is ultimately what, what brings them together here's what's so beautiful end. about that she trapped them in the woods and as a result these two enemies formed a bond and and a mutual respect for each other and they had plenty of opportunities to kill each other and they didn't Again, this movie is presented in such a way where the witchcraft could not necessarily be real uh, in terms of there might not be any supernatural element, but it also is presented in such a way that, yes, the supernatural is real. And she did not use her witchy powers to kill them. Like, she, she very easily could have killed them and in her mind have been justified because if they are the perpetrators of violence, if you remove the... the uh, if you remove the source of violence, then you remove some of the violence. But because of the fact that um, because of the fact that it was all of that pain and suffering and death that was sort of you know <laughs> destroying the world as it is, it made sense that she wouldn't kill them. She would just kind of trap them, you know, keep them from killing yeah. by removing them from the situation, but not engaging things on their level of just outright killing them yeah. you know then of course you can get in the question of which is worse being dead or being tortured by a witch but doesn't matter like she wasn't even really torturing them she was just like hey live here in the forest stop going killing people but their response especially william especially the uh again the one who is presented as more kind and uh and religious in all of this is the one who's like, no, she's evil. We need to kill her. And and yeah. again, there's just such a fascinating switch in character from the very beginning of the movie where William meets Daniel and he says, I don't want to kill you because I don't have a problem with you. It's your king who's trying to essentially tell me what to believe. And then by the end, he's, you don't believe what I believe, so I'm going to kill you. It, yeah. it is just... Again, the themes in this movie we really could talk about for hours, and man, I love that ending. No, it's it's really fantastic. Like, there's a line that I that I think is fantastic, uh, where it says, "Why is a soldier's mind always so clouded?" Uh, basically, where it's like these guys have been programmed to to kill or destroy anything that is is other to them um and again that has all been programmed into them through their faith despite the fact that the underlying guidelines of their faith is to have compassion for others and help others you know it's like oh if you don't believe that you should be kind to others and help others in the exact same way that i do then you should die yep. and be and and again they are also blinded by their faith because they have they don't have the ability to recognize that ultimately the causes that they are fighting for ended up perpetuating this cycle to begin with. They're the ones that drove it. They're the ones that, you know, quote unquote radicalized 
this witch who is really not even that radical. She's just someone who is distraught by what she she's seen and is doing her best to make. She wants peace, yeah. And because of that, yeah. she is considered. She, that, she is a that super in chill witch. In that mind, you know, in their like, mind, that is the radical idea. Uh, like, it's it's like, absolutely of, fascinating. Of the three of them, I want to go get a flagon of mead with her because you know she's just chill. I yeah, and then they, they even present it like we're doing you a mercy. Like she has that one line to her, she's like, "Oh, you offer death with kindness." Like, are you? Which basically is, "Are you fucking kidding me?" Yeah, like what? <laughs> well, uh, and so again, fa- like it's- tying that back into to the line at the very beginning of. Not just at the beginning, but a couple of times where Daniel Oldroyd is basically like, "I'll be, I'll be kind to you by killing you quickly." You know, like when uh, when yeah. he and William start splitting up, he's like, "Thank you for sparing my life. I'll do you the same kindness if I see you on the battlefield. I'll kill you quickly." And so, like yeah. in his mind, a quick death is a merciful death rather than like actually showing mercy and compassion. And man, mm. I, I I thought and honestly was really hoping that you were going to reference the line that I told you to pay attention to, in part because I forgot to write it down, so I can't remember the exact <laughs> wording. But something along the line, the witch says something along the lines of like, I can't change you, but I can hold you accountable for what you've done. And yeah. and and again, like because she's not she's not killing them, she is just presenting the guilt to the soldier of. Look, your life is about killing. Your life is about destroying other people who don't agree with you. Your life is about mm-hmm. just following orders. So I'm going to haunt you with the mistake of killing someone that you don't think should have been killed. And and then yeah. for the um for for William, it was almost more of a I'm going to haunt you by putting you with the person who killed your brother. We don't know if he actually killed his brother or if he was just part of the um, the regiment that, that invaded the town, but still, like, she's not actually doing anything. She's just putting their own bullshit in front of them, and they're getting yeah. mad about it to the point of killing her. Again, Yeah. so, ah, honestly, the more that I talk about this movie, the more I enjoy it. Yeah, it's really fantastic. And, and, you know, to think about the way that it hit me personally, you know, to go back to to current politics in the United States right now and the way like there's a it's something that I really struggle with as as a Christian where it's like I I mean, I'm just going to get all out right now. Like I despise Donald Trump as a human being, as a president. I think he is absolutely horrible. But I live in a town where 80 percent of the people support like literally looking at the voting tallies 80 percent of people in this area including the majority of my family support this man despite saying that they're christian despite you know like all these things that feel so so antithetical to everything that that man stands for and there's a line in there well it's because god can work through anyone except a democrat yeah we yeah we don't need a perfect (laughs) human we need a perfect person for whatever that bullshit nonsense is that they say but like there's a there's a part in this movie where there's like before they go and confront the witch uh daniel oldroyd's character is praying and he says like i he's talking about his enemies and how he hates them with a perfect hatred and it and it like really hit home with me because there are so many times where i'm like i hate this man and i really desperate like i really want to hate people who support him but I also 
can't like i don't know like i constantly struggle with like i i despise this person i should we like i almost feel like some of these people who support the horrible things he's doing should be social outcasts and pariahs but if we do that then that's just going to push them off into their own little bubble and it's going to perpetuate all these things and you know is it better to show them kindness or do better and if i am angry and if i do feel hatred toward these people is it justified is it righteous like is that what i should do i don't know it's like i I constantly struggle with how i am actually supposed to react to these situations because in my heart i just feel so much pain and anger towards the people who have let so much so many of these horrible things happen over the past four years just totally turn a blind eye to it and i don't know it's it's a it's a real struggle that i have and this movie again highlighted those things and you know, I mean, I, I guess on one level, I'm just grateful that I have the self-awareness to recognize my uh, my the contradictions in my <laughs> in my behavior and the way that I, like who how I feel versus how I want to be and what is the right thing to do and the right way to feel. Right, and like anyway, honestly, this movie gets at that so well. I think. Well, yeah, and like that's what I was gonna say. <laughs> this movie does such an amazing job of that because who is the villain of this movie? You know, who we, there's the obvious like, okay, well, because we're following uh, Daniel and William, again, actors, not characters throughout the entire movie. The other is seen as, uh, as seen as the antagonist because you're like, Oh, well they're trapped in a force by a witch. Obviously witches are evil. So they need to destroy this evil and get out of this trap. But then you get to the Mm. end. It's like, wait, no, She's not evil. She's the one who actually makes the most sense in all of this. But because you've been following uh, these other two characters this entire movie, are they evil? You know, like, are, are they really yeah. bad people? Like, they're, they're you realize not. The, the, they're, what they're doing is coming from a place of pain and and to a certain extent, like, just the inability to see past their own bias and their own thing. And, you know, and again, that's kind of like, that's kind of the, the way I feel about, you know, the people in my family who I love dearly, who I just have a hard time even talking to anymore sometimes because of politics and things like that. And it's like, I recognize that you're not a bad person, but I don't know. I mean, I, I recognize that there are all these the, other factors that, well, again, the there way are all these that other the witch handled it, it's hard to, you have to look at look at things from their perspective. You know, so much of it is they might not necessarily be turning a blind eye. They may not just be aware of it in the same way. It all depends on their social circles and the way that in their mind they're justifying things. Like they may not see it the same way you do, you know, whether that's wrong or not. And, you know, it, it all depends on the situation, I guess. But I don't, I don't know. It's just such a it's so hard to. Well, but so hard. But again, like, (laughs) honestly, no, like none of that straying because this is one of the things that makes Hex so great is, again, all of the things that can be discussed and all of these real world applications, because like what you're describing is kind of what the witch was doing in terms of I see the bad that you have done. That doesn't mean that you are a bad person. Some of it has been an intentional bad. Some of it has just been complacent with the evil that others have done. But even though I am going to shine a light on it to let you or, you know, to force you to confront the things that you have done, I'm not going to stoop to your level of then engaging in the way that you've handled it to address the problem. So again, like because right. yeah, then, she has them and then trapped, she gets killed for it. But <laughs> exactly. And she's, the, she 
Yeah. yeah. She ends up losing her life because she is trying to help these men to a certain extent. Like, she doesn't condone their behavior, but at the same time, she is like, look, I'm trying to make things better. I want things to be better. And the only way to make things better is for you guys to understand where I'm coming from and where you're coming from. And then she dies. So, you know. Yeah. And, and so. oh, man. She doesn't just die. And, and again, man. Oh, it's God. Yeah. The way that she dies of William, again, the little soft-spoken religious dude is the one who repeatedly stabs her. Like, not just a let's put her out of her mercy or let's put her out of her misery. Let's make this a merciful killing. It was not. That was not a merciful killing that he engaged in. And I so much to talk about. It was an uh, Yeah. Well, first off, he was killing her in anger, but he was not killing her mercifully. Like he was killing her in a very agonizing way. Because he was stabbing her like in the in the stomach and the chest. He was stabbing her in places that, yeah, she's going to die because she's going to bleed out, but she's not going to die instantly. And Daniel's just standing there struggling with it, I think. Like, he wasn't really okay with it, but he was also okay with it. And then, you know, it, it cuts to black right as this happens, so you don't actually seize it. But then he does actually kill her mercifully by cutting off her head. And, and so, again, it's just such a fascinating dynamic of you start this movie with William saying, look, just because we believe different things doesn't mean that I want to kill you. I just want someone to stop telling me what to believe. I want someone to stop oppressing me, which is why I don't have a problem with you. I just have a problem with your king. And then yeah. by the end of the movie, it's you don't believe what I believe. So I am going to kill you very slowly and painfully because you have a different belief like yeah e even though throughout the movie uh daniel order its but it's character, not him that's doing it it is god it is it is a justified killing in his mind too. It, yeah, and thank you for adding in his mind i i do find it incredibly fascinating though that daniel Oldroyd's character even though he does have development he's also the most consistent person throughout you know like hmm. his i feel like his convictions at the beginning of the film are the same convictions that he has at the end of the film in terms of, look, if I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill you quickly. We're here for a purpose. It's, it's not, it's not personal. It's business, you know, like he's very godfathery about it. Whereas, um, whereas William is not. And mm -hmm. I, I just, I think it is endlessly fascinating. And again, the last 30 minutes of this film, so much to unpack Especially yeah, in relation to our current setting. It's really terrific. And it like, I mean, and it plays out very simply, you know, it's really just a, a short, maybe like three or four minute conversation between these people where every single line that everybody says just has layers of meaning yep. to it. Um, I wrote down so many lines just from that last <laughs> scene, just because it was like, oh man, this is so, this is so good. And, and I mean, and the sad thing is, is it, I mean, it even goes back as far as like, uh, like it feels like it's very much pulled from historical context, like, you know, witch trials and witch hunting and stuff like that's obviously there's a little bit to that there, but um, it, it, it can be applied to a modern context as well. Obviously from what we're saying, I don't know. There's just, I don't know where I'm going with this. Well, Sorry. one uh, kind of going back a little bit um, and also tying hex into droving in terms of who's the bad guy 
you know, like even though all of them have done things that are not necessarily good and all of them give you reasons to to view them as the antagonist, they also all give you reasons to understand where they're coming from and they all give you justifiable reasons why you can relate to them. And major spoilers for the droving. So if you haven't seen that one uh, as well, go watch it. It's great. Uh, listen to our review of it and then go watch it. But major spoilers for the droving again, involving Daniel Oldroyd when he gets to the end and he kills the guy who kills his sister. And then when he's like, that wasn't enough. And so then he willingly becomes the executioner of the ferryman or whatever. Uh, no, not the ferryman, the merchant, right? Is it the merchant and the, whatever some, he, he yeah, becomes the executioner like of whatever that guy is. And so it's like, wait, we've just been following you this entire movie trying to get revenge on the person who, you know, so needlessly took a life until we found out that the reason he took a life was because his wife had died. And like, there's just so many layers that give you the context of things aren't as simple as they seem. Things aren't as black and white. And Mm -hmm. I just, I, I, again, I love the way that George Popoff handles these, uh, these themes in his movies because life is not simple like you've just been talking about it's very easy to hate people who have done horrible vile things yeah but they do horrible vile things out of hate and so at what point does our hatred of those who hate blur into us also being people of hate and and it's just exactly it's such a hard line such a struggle internally yeah like why why even like on this i had a struggle to yeah exactly like i can't condone it i can talk to them about it but normally that just makes things worse well but like that's (laughs) that's one of our complaints about people that's one of our complaints about people who have been at least complacent with the terrible things that trump has done is even if they weren't quote-unquote okay with it even if they didn't support what he was doing they're still okay with it enough to have voted for him again. And so, you know, like again, part of that struggle on our end of where is the line between showing compassion and speaking up against the evil to, to, to highlight the evil that they are doing, or at least their, mm-hmm. you know, acceptance of it without us also becoming that same evil and same source of hate. And it's, yeah, it is a huge struggle. And one of the things yeah, that I love so much about the, Hex is I, I don't know which of these characters I would be in real life, you know? Right. Yeah. And then even with like Hex, it's like in my mind, there's so many times where I've tried to speak out and ultimately it just ends up fracturing the family in so many different ways or or like and even if it's not an immediate like you don't immediately see the effects of it it's like on down the line i I recognize like strains in the relationships that i have with people that i love over the years just because of one minor debate that in my mind was just like hey we're just talking about something and later on like i find out like oh these people think that i'm just some hateful bigot because i'm calling them out on (laughs) their bigotry (laughs) And, and so, and on, I mean, it's, it's very much a hex-like, yeah. Situ- yeah. I mean, it's it's very much a hex-like situation where it's like, is it worth the effort? Which, in my mind, yes, it is worth the effort to try and talk to these people. However, in some cases, it doesn't change anything. It just makes you know, it causes you to be the one who is cut out. I don't know. It's well, and it, maybe like, that's not even necessarily a bad thing. Think of it in thing, terms. But- 
think of it in terms of, again, that church scene where William's like, look, we're not going to defeat this. We're not going to bring good back into this place until you have prayed and sort of, you know, absolved yourself. You mm-hmm. were not going to, we're, we're not going to be able to get to the next step until you have reconciled your own demons. And like, he's the one yeah. urging him, come on, you got to talk about this. You got to get it out. And then as soon as Dana was like, okay, I feel terrible because yeah, whatever it slaughtered a village doesn't matter. But then I killed one of my own. And like, that is the, mm. the break. The thing that William had been urging him to do is what put such a huge, a, a huge break in their, uh, in their relationship. And yeah, like, I, I think that it actually drove them further apart. I think that once they kill the witch, they are either then going to kill each other or you, you know what? Because it cuts to black. What if Daniel killed William and not the witch? Um, that's an interesting I, idea. I, don't I didn't think even think that about that. Did. It looks like he swings the sword toward her head. So I didn't even consider that. But yeah, I mean, it's it's possible. Because or like, he'll, yeah, he'll he was the one trying to sort of like talk reason into her of just just let us go. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, I, I don't know. I just think that it is so fascinating. I also, I just, it just, you reminded me too, we're talking about the church. One of the, one of the other lines that I really love is where they, you know, they go to the witch and, you know, in one of the worst crimes that they associate with the witch is the desecration of the church. And they're like, yeah, you've come in here and you've, you've desecrated this, this holy land or this holy, holy chapel or whatever. And she's like, no, that was like that way before I was here. Like, this is not my fault. (laughs) But you are again, like it is. It is. Uh, I mean, the assumption is that you know something, something related to whatever cause one of the other two are related to is probably the reason why that church has been destroyed. Yeah. But they're so again, they're so if, blinded. Either because of people other... losing faith or because of military like coming through and destroying a village. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Right, and they can't accept responsibility for that, and. So of course they have to be like, okay, well, I it's not my fault that this happened, and you're the only other person here, and you are unholy. So obviously it is your fault. So I, <clears throat> ah man, we 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 have to stop talking soon because honestly, the more that we talk about this, I'm just going to keep diving further and further into it, and we should probably wrap yeah. things up pretty soon. But this made me think of uh, just before the church scene where they have. Uh, Daniel and William have split and they're trying to get out and they've gone their separate ways. And that's when they realize, Oh, we can't. And you get the scene with him at the river or him at the, uh, the stream. First off, pretty much any time there's water in movies, uh, it's going to be some sort of baptism scene in terms of like, this is giving them a renewed purpose or it is uh, clarifying things for them. And you do get a little bit of that in terms of, you have a lot more resolve from William after that scene of we have to take down this evil rather than let's, let's just go our own ways. But the thing that I love so much about it is in that scene, you see that he literally has blood on his hands. Like the, the way that the water turns into blood again. Yeah. It's a cool little, Oh, Hey, there's a witch here. There's something weird happening. Water turned into blood. What spooky. Woo. But it's showing that the religious dude is just as guilty. He's the one who has blood yeah. on his hands and is, you know, just as much at fault for the way that things are. And it's simple and I might be reading too much into it, but I don't think so. And, and it's beautiful and I love it. Yeah. 
I'm with you. It's it's really, you know, the the ending of this film really hit me in a way I was not expecting. It's yeah. good stuff. All right. I, this, this, this probably all that we should go <laughs> into for now because uh, it would be nice to save some of this conversation for when we actually talk to George on whatever episode that's going to be coming up soon keep you on the lookout so Eric how rewatchable yes. is Hex for you um, I feel like it's the kind of movie that I would really have to be in a very specific mood um, to watch and that's just I mean again that's just me like I have to especially with a movie that requires me to really pay attention um, I need to be in a mood that I am very rarely in because of the fact that I'm constantly having stuff to do. Like I said, I, when I was doing this movie, I was, or when I was watching this movie, I was doing laundry. Like there's always something going on when I'm watching movies. That's very rare sure. that I can like just put myself in a dark room and sit and watch it. So I don't know how often I will be rewatching it, but I am actually very interested in going back to this movie uh, maybe in a couple years time and, you know, knowing the ending in advance, watching it again, you know, knowing the fate of these characters, um, seeing how, you know, their actions in the beginning uh, are reflected in their actions at the end of the film. I think that that would make for a, uh, a you know, a very interesting rewatch. You know, it's definitely one of those movies that puts stuff that happens earlier in the film in a new context after you've seen the entire story yeah we man that reminds me we didn't even talk about the dream sequence of uh like people stabbing each other in the back and how oh, yeah, relevant yeah, yeah, that is and yeah um yeah i'm, I'm kind of right there with you uh like i said the more that i talk about this movie the more i enjoy it i said at the very beginning I feel like there is a ton to unpack with all of the themes and just how all of just the discussion that you can have again of faith and goodness and loyalty, all of the discussions that you can have from it are what I love so much about this movie. It is slow. It is incredibly slow. That is a fact. So it's, it's going to be one that honestly is a little bit harder for me to rewatch because there is so much of this movie that is, you know, it's, it's character development, but it is a very quiet development. <laughs> so you have lots of scenes of, uh, of Daniel and William just staring at each other and you, you get some of that distrust. And, you know, I'd be curious to rewatch it and see if the way that they're staring at each other changes over the course of the movie in terms of showing more trust of not having to keep their eyes on them the entire time. Um, but but yeah, it is an incredibly slow movie, and so like you, I would have to be in a very specific mood to rewatch it. But it's also beautiful, and I love the music, and so I could also very easily see this being uh, something that I turn on. I I could I could see myself rewatching this for two reasons, and they are opposite ends of the spectrum. One reason is to not have to think and just have some pretty scenery and some cool music on like while I'm cleaning or whatever and just kind of having it on as a background movie the the, the locations and uh, and the music yeah this makes it a movie that could very easily be one that I don't have to pay attention to but the way that I see myself rewatching it more is watching it for the purpose of discussion. So, you know, rewatching it with other people <clears throat> to then get into the same kind of uh, discussions that you and I have had for the last hour and a half um, mm. or, or, you know, sharing it with 
sharing it with someone who maybe is having having their own struggle of faith um, and using that as sort of a, a a talking point of all right. I don't really know how to start this conversation. So let's watch this movie and let's talk about that. And then let's relate that back to what you're going through type of thing. So this is the kind of movie that, again, I see myself rewatching for discussion. The, the pacing and how much of this movie is silent. It's not one that I'm going to put on, uh, you know, for a fun Saturday afternoon action flick. It's it's not going to be like a super spooky, like, oh man, it's, you know, one o'clock in the morning. I want to be scared pantsless uh, before going to sleep. <laughs> no, it's just like, yeah. ah, okay. It, it, that is not the kind of movie that this is. And I think that it's important for people to be aware of that because if you are going in expecting a super creepy witch movie, that's not what this movie is. If you're going in expecting a big action sequence battle Civil War style movie, that's not what this movie is. This movie is an examination of faith and loss and and, and who would you be in this scenario? Because, again, I don't know. I'd like to think that I would be the witch, honestly, but I, I don't know. Because sometimes people say things and it pisses me right off and I'm just like <laughs> William and, you know, I, I try to be the kind person, but then I just want to shove a cross through them. But then sometimes I'm like, but I also want to be like Daniel where, you know, like Daniel is committed when he says he will do something, he follows through with it. And so like there's, there's things about each of them that could be relatable. So, yeah. All right. <clears throat> How re- uh, no, I just asked how rewatchable. Who do you recommend this movie for? Slash, what other movies would you pair it with? Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm with you in saying that it's not necessarily one that I would recommend to a typical horror film, you know, person who's just looking for a bunch of scares and, and that kind of thing. I uh, I feel like it would be. It's definitely a film for someone who enjoys, you know, that kind of slower, more contemplative stuff. Something like it's very much on in terms of pacing kind of like a 2001 or something like that, or, or really, um, and I'm pretty sure that in one of the podcasts I listened to Popov mentioned him as an influence, but, um, Tarkovsky, Andre Tarkovsky, who made movies like stalker and, um, and Solaris, uh, it's, it very much is, is in that, in that realm. Uh, another one, like in terms of movies that are about faith, one that just came to mind is, uh, the Passion of Joan of Arc, which is a silent film, um, you know, much like this movie yeah. in a lot of ways is a silent film that is about somebody who is, um, who is, you know, being pushed to the limits of their faith and who is really sticking to their convictions in a, in a, in a little bit more of a positive way. Uh, well, okay, let me rephrase that. Not necessarily positive, but it is a film that it is examining, you know, those different aspects of, uh, you know, someone who is legitimately trying to stick by their faith in a way that is compassionate versus someone who is using faith to oppress others. Um, I don't know. It, it, it definitely has a lot of complexity to it in much the same way that uh, that Hex does. Uh, of course, in Joan of Arc, so yeah. the, uh, the churchy, judgy dudes were obviously the bad guys. They were obviously the bad guys. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> for sure. There's well, a that's less gray in area the, in that. I started to say in a positive way because it's like Joan is like steadfast in her faith and it is being used in a way that like is not designed to hurt other people. But then I was like, oh, yeah, but she's also like being tortured by 
you know, men of the clergy or whatever. So right. it's like, no, nah, maybe that's not the best. <laughs> maybe positive is not the right word there, but. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so, with, um, about you? so I've already kind of said this, but, and, and I recognize that this might not be the best way to go about it, but part of my recommendation for who would enjoy this is a little bit of clarification of who would not enjoy it in terms of, again, like if you're looking for a super witchy film, that's, that's not what this is. If you watched the droving and you thought that the droving was a little too slow, then you're not going to enjoy hex. However, if you watch the droving and you really enjoyed that one and, and you appreciate how the focus is again on conceptual uh, thematic elements rather than uh, big set pieces, then I do think that you're going to enjoy Hex. And obviously, you know, coming from the same director, of course, it's going to have a lot of those same themes. Um, but yeah, for me, I I would put Hex in a triple feature of like a, a witch knight, but it would be the first movie and ramp up in intensity as you go along. And okay. like, I, so again, even though I did oh, really you, enjoy- you could start off with like, Haxon, well, and then go on to Hex, and Haxon, then do like the witch. Maybe see, that's the thing. Haxon's a lot of fun, <laughs> a weird sort of fun. <laughs> it, it's a complicated film. Haxon has so many bizarre scenes that I feel like that is a step up in energy from uh, from Hex. It was one of the ones that I was considering. You know, like okay, so again, what I would not pair it with, I would not do a triple feature of hex and hereditary and uh kill list because even though there's a lot of themes that would make those work well together that would be a very slow night and and again i think that they're all great movies all different movies but i i don't feel like that would really ramp up the energy um especially depending on when you start might be a little too easy to fall asleep during one of those Again, all great movies, but all slow. Um, mm. If I was going... I like, uh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I, I was just going to say I like the Kill List comparison. I think that's a pretty good one. It's got a little bit of a folk horror kind of thing to it. Plus, uh, one of the movies that was recommended to me on like Amazon after I watched uh, Hex was A Field in England, which yeah. is uh, a Ben Wheatley film. Uh, who's the same guy that did Kill List? And that's also about the English Civil War. Yeah, that I, that one's been on my radar for a while, one, but I've not had a chance to get to it. But <laughs> from what I've seen of Wheatley, I love his work. Um, all right, so if I was going chronologically in terms of when the movies take place, I would do Haxon, Hex, and then Suspiria. If oh, I was not like going chronologically... I would probably do Hex, Suspiria, and then just something that is just balls to the wall crazy, which I recognize the irony of using the phrase balls to the wall when talking about, uh, you know, a witch film. But you drag me to hell. Ooh, yeah, that perfect. Yes, this is why I have you you as a co-host. If I was doing a triple feature where I was ramping up in energy, I would do Hex, Suspiria, either version drag me to hell absolutely that, yep. that 
<laughs> now I really want to do that. <laughs> now I want to rewatch Hex just to do that triple feature. That sounds like fun. <laughs> that. Oh, yeah, that, that would be a blast. Um, don't watch them in the reverse order, though, because if you start out with Drag Me to Hell, things are going downhill from there. That movie's God, I love that movie. <laughs> we need to review that one really soon. I love that movie so we really much. Do. Yeah, I can't believe we haven't done Drag Me to Hell yet. Damn. Oh, it's so much fun. I'm doing this thing um, for like two years now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we, we should just turn this into a Sam Raimi podcast. We've covered every other Sam Raimi. Well, no, we haven't done Army of Darkness either. Well, we've, we've also not done uh, his, his Western. Quick and the Dead. Was that his Western? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was just thinking of horror specifically with Sam oh. Raimi. Ooh, you know what we really need to do? A Simple Plan. That movie is fucking amazing and nobody ever talks about it. Well, we will talk about it when we eventually get around to it. All right. Again, there's probably a ton of stuff that we could keep talking about with this film, but I don't want to talk it too much into the ground because i do want to leave some things for us to discuss with george uh and and when we talk about him we're not going to talk just about hex and we're going to talk about uh, both hex and the droving and you know obviously what he plans to do from here um but if you enjoyed our coverage of hex or the droving then be sure to check back very soon uh for an interview with george popoff all right eric where do you want people to find you um, I can be found on uh, twitter.com at the Chimerican. That's T H E C H I M E R I C A N. I can also be found at Instagram, which I guess is not Instagram.com because it's an app. I don't know. Is it Instagram? I don't know. Whatever. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, Instagram at Chimerican Reviews. Well, you know how, like, if you go to Insta, if when you go to Instagram on like a computer, doesn't it just like tell you to get the app on your phone? Like, it's not even you, made for on for when you can still maybe it go is now. to. You can go to like a specific. Yes, you can go to Instagram. Uh, I don't think that you can upload from a computer, but you can still go to like Instagram.com slash American Reviews. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I just thought at one point you couldn't even look at Instagram stuff. Anyway, I don't know why the hell I'm getting bogged down in this. I'm also at letterboxd.com at uh, Eric J-A-Y. I love how you give like the the websites. So like twitter.com and letterboxd.com and... I just like, I like to change it up. <laughs> sure, sure. You can follow me slash the podcast on I'm Facebook, start Twitter. Going HTTP colon backslash backslash you ever see you ever watch that old show uh home movies the old brendan small show it's been a long time since i've seen home movies it's i I love that movie more or that show more than i can explain but there's one bit where they're talking about a website and one of the characters keeps saying like https uh colon they're like no 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 sorry sorry he's not doing that (laughs) one of the characters is saying uh the name of a website as www dot whatever and, and the other two were like you, you don't have to say the www like that's that's just understood <laughs> what's the website www you don't have to say that that's, that's how i feel sometimes i'm Anywho, definitely saying it from now on you can follow me on facebook twitter sorry me slash the podcast see you done screwed me up here <clears throat> you can follow me at slash the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and letterboxd at video monster pod. Uh, you can also follow me personally on letterboxd at the gargoyle. And if you enjoyed this episode and want to keep coming back for more, just do a search wherever you get your podcasts for video monsters. Uh, our entire uh, backlog of episodes are there. So, you know, go back, listen, we've done lots of episodes. Sometimes we do lots of episodes of the same movie multiple times because, 
Because why not? We like talking about movies. Who the hell cares if we talk about the same movie over and over again? It's going to happen. We're going to do another Evil Dead episode because, of course, we are because we love that movie. We're going to do another Hellraiser 3 episode because, of course, we are. Because I'm going to make air. Are we, though? <laughs> yeah, we are, eventually. Yes, we are, because we're going to do our Hellraiser series. So, of course, we're going to do another Hellraiser 3 episode. Sure, sure, sure. It might be the same conversation. Again, who cares? If you're the type of person who likes talking (laughs) about movies, and as friends who also like talking about movies, and you talk about movies with them, don't tell me that you've not had the same conversation with them like 20 times in a row. It's what happens among cinephiles. Anywho... Uh, yeah, if you enjoy our ramblings, wherever you get your podcast, just do a search for Video Monsters, and if you're enjoying the show, leave some comments, leave some feedback, leave some reviews, tell us that we're doing good, you know, for our own egos, but also because the more positive reviews that we have, obviously, the more discoverable we are. So, uh, yeah, go, go leave those good reviews. All right, that's been it for this episode of Video Monsters. I'm Nathan. And I am Eric. And remember, kids, um, if you see a witch in the woods, offer her a drink. Witches are rad, you know. Like, yeah, they just they just want to live deliciously. Like that's that's all that they're that's all they're doing. <laughs> that's that's all they're doing. Now, obviously, some witches, like the ones in Suspiria, not doing things so kind. But I mean, like, th- those are like those are city witches. <laughs> the. the <laughs> <laughs> The forest witches, they just want to live in peace and harmony. So. Oh, <laughs> uh, city witches. Like what? I don't know. What do city witches do? Uh, I don't know. Anyway, I, love I, don't, it. I don't know. But yeah, um, also. F- them city witches. <laughs> We're going to demonize the city witches? No! No, like all witches are are good. I'm just saying, you know, like people who live in the city, they sometimes have to deal with more harshness. And so it's, and I don't know. (laughs) Uh, All I know is that uh, witches also standing up against uh, police brutality. So, I mean, come on. I'm, God, how did we get through this entire Listen. episode and not talk about like the very, very real situation of of uh, witches actually standing up against uh, police brutality and how that like so directly relates to to some of the themes in Hex? How how did we know. get through this episode and not talk about that? I don't know. I didn't. I don't actually know what you're talking about. Are there real, like real witches were doing witch things? Yeah. No. Like, have have you not seen like some of the the pictures of uh, like Amish and witches standing right next to each other, both protesting police brutality? No, I didn't see that. That's interesting. What? Yeah. Listen. Well, here's the thing, though. If you really want to get rid of witches, if you really have a problem with witches, uh, they're really just here to dismantle the patriarchy. So help them dismantle the patriarchy, and you won't have to do, you won't have to worry about witches being around anymore. So true. They, their job will be done. Their job will be done. So yeah. Yeah. That's uh. The, the patriarchy is the reason why witches exist in the first place because they uh, accused women of being witches anytime women decided to be smart or, or tell the men that they suck. Yeah. Also because, you know, throughout the history of, you know, like the witch trials and, and whatever, it's, oh, th- something bad happened to a man. A woman exists. Let's blame her with witchcraft. 
so it. yeah yeah so remember kids um dismantle the patriarchy that's it bye i was gonna drop my inhaler like a mic drop <laughs> i but, wondered uh, what you were doing <laughs> Well, yeah, that's what I was. I just need to explain it for your for your benefit, not for mine. <laughs> I, as soon as I, I held it up for a second, I was like, "No, that's dumb." <laughs> then it would have just sounded like you were just dropping shit over there. Yeah, no, you probably wouldn't even hear. I, I actually am holding a microphone. I guess I could have literally dropped no. it, but I, I no. don't want to hurt. I don't want to destroy your equipment there. No, do not drop my microphone. Damn it! We're still recording, aren't we? You're going to put this on the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> Maybe. <sighs> <laughs>